John chapter number 10. And I'm going to start reading with uh, verse 7. John 10, verse 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I begin to think this week on uh, just on that one verse, John 10, 10. Um, and it gives us, uh, he's talking in this really, um, you have to go back to John 9. Uh, and what he's trying to teach in John 10 directly correlates with John 9. For in John chapter number 9, he healed a man that had been born blind. Uh, and uh, and and they didn't the, the people didn't believe that he had been born blind and they called his parents and it was this whole ordeal that he had to go through and they kept asking and asking and asking uh, and every time the man would give the same answer he didn't even know at the time that he was healed who Jesus was and so he would give an answer that would say this he would say that a man by the name of Jesus came and he spit on the ground and he rubbed that uh, he rubbed that clay on my eyes. And he told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I did. And I came seeing. And he was born blind. Now keep in mind that uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the things that men were to look for in looking for the Messiah. Uh, Isaiah and some of the other Old Testament writers had said uh, that a man uh, that can heal uh, one born blind. Uh, so all of those prophecies in the Old Testament were fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Uh, but they refused Him, the scribes and the Pharisees. And so they kept asking this man. And they asked Him and asked Him and asked Him. And He gave the same answer. Uh, can I say you that have been born again uh, what Peter said that we should always uh, be ready to give an answer unto any man that ask of us what is the reason of the hope that lies within you. And so I'm ready to give that defense it uh, cost uh, the apostles their very lives when they gave that defense. I'm ready to give that defense. Uh, uh, why, why do I have hope within me? It all goes back to an altar one night. Uh, I'd heard about Jesus much like probably this man had. I don't know. Uh, but he didn't know much about Him. And so all he had to answer was a man by the name of Jesus came. And I've not been the same since. Uh, a man by the name of Jesus laid His hands upon me. And when He did that and I listened to what He said, uh, He said, now I see... And he said, I don't know much. Uh, they were questioning him. Uh, do you think that man's a prophet? Do you think Jesus of Nazareth is a prophet? Or what do you think that he is? Uh, who do you think that he is? Uh, and the blind man that had been healed gave one answer. He said, I don't know. Uh, you can judge all of that. I don't know much about that man. Uh, but all I know is that once I was blind and now I see. And there is nothing that you or anybody can say to me 
uh, that would convince me otherwise because I know I was blind and now I know I'm not blind anymore. And so that's the answer that a saved man has to give that this man by the name of Jesus came as a lowly Galilean. He lived and he healed and he, 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 he brought the dead back to life and he was crucified on a tree and he shed his blood. And all I can tell you is that one night at an altar of prayer. And by the way, it wasn't a missionary Baptist church. Uh, would you like to really know the truth? The truth is I never set foot in a missionary Baptist church until after I'd been saved and after I'd been called to preach. Uh, some, of, uh, some of our people won't believe that, uh, but it's the truth and that's all I know. It's the blind man said, I know what happened to me. Uh, so he comes into John chapter number 10 and he's, uh, he's, uh, he's talking about those Pharisees in chapter number 9 and he says that they are false shepherds, uh, that they are doing a terrible harm unto the sheep. Uh, and so he looks out for his own uh, and he's warning against false teachers uh, and he's warning against false doctrine. Uh, but then he comes down to verse number 10 and he says the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And so this week I've had one thought on my heart regarding this morning and that is an abundant life. What is an abundant life? What does that mean to you? If I would say to you back there in our storage closet, we've got an abundance of paper towels or something like that. You would, you would take by that that we've got a large quantity, a large amount, but what is an abundant life? Uh, first, we need to figure out what he's meaning in the first part. We have an enemy today. He is the arch enemy today. He is the enemy of your soul today. He is the enemy of everything that's good and holy and just. But he wasn't always. Uh, the Bible says in the day that he was created, uh, that he was perfect, he was beautiful. The Bible goes on to say, Lucifer, uh, you know, Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from the sky. Uh, when Satan fell, uh, he rebelled. And when he rebelled, he fell. And when he fell, he drew a third of the angels with him, uh, with that tail. Uh, and they fell down to this earth. Uh, and there they are. And here they are. And he goes on to say later in his book uh, that he goes about uh, walking to and fro in this earth seeking whom he may devour. He's an enemy. He wasn't created an enemy. He was created as the anointed cherub that covereth. As a matter of fact, he was, I believe that he was that he had ranked on the other angels, so to speak. He was, he was, he was the anointed cherub, one that God had favored. The name Lucifer actually means light bearer. He bore the light until the day that iniquity was found in him. Until the day when, according to Isaiah chapter 14, he said, I will exalt my throne above all the stars of God. I will exalt myself in the heavens and I will become like unto the Most High. Ezekiel chapter 28 says he was in the garden of God. Said he was on the mountain of God. I said he walked in duty. I said he was perfect. That he had the coverings of every goodly stone upon him. He bore the light of the Son of God. He was the light bearer until the Bible says that because of pride because he was so beautiful, he got boastful and he got prideful. And that's when I believe he was cast out. But since he has been upon this earth, 
He's made damage. He's wreaked havoc everywhere. Uh, Satan is the enemy. Uh, don't you know that uh, that when uh, when he walked in the garden of God, don't you know uh, that when God told Adam in the day that you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. Uh, don't you know Satan was glad uh, when he walked through the earth one day and he stumbled across the sight that the world had never seen. He stumbled across a dead body. He stumbled across the body of Abel killed by his own brother Cain. I believe the devil, if it's even possible for him to rejoice, I believe he rejoiced that day because he, by his treachery and by his by his enticing a man upon our own lust, he had brought death into the realm of mankind. Man had never died up until that point. And I believe if it's possible... Satan himself smiled that day and said, now I've done it. I've caused death to come upon God's favored race. I've caused death to come upon the friend of God. The one who was born and made in the image of God. The one that God took so much care into forming. The one that He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. But I tricked man and I deceived man and I enticed him and man, and man's now fallen, and now man's dead. I believe he took great joy in that. If it's at all possible for him to experience joy, he is your enemy today. He is the enemy of your church. He is the enemy of your home. He's the enemy of your marriage. He's the enemy of everything that you hold dear today. And He's a powerful foe. One that you cannot. What does it say? Why did He come? He comes forth first to steal. He'll steal everything good in your life. He'll take everything that you hold up and He'll steal that from you. If it's possible today, and it is possible today, for it happened unto the one after God's own heart, He simply lost the joy of his salvation. What happened? Satan stole that from him. He enticed David to sin. He entices me to sin. He entices you to sin. He can steal your very joy today if we allow that to happen. And so he can come into your thoughts today and steal the joy of salvation. He'll tell you that you're still lost and unsaved. He'll tell you, as we mentioned earlier today, uh, that you've lost that salvation. That's not true. He's a liar. Uh, John Chapter 8 says he's not only a liar, he is the father of lies. We sing a song while ago. Said, I can tell you the time and I can take you to the place. You know, I was speaking to Brother Don earlier. I've been taught, talked to him quite a bit, and he would tell me different times that Satan had tried to come upon him. Now, you mean he was a deacon and Satan affected a deacon like that? Yes, sir. Now, there have been times he's told me, You mean Satan can affect a man of God, a pastor like that? Yes, sir. And you know what Brother Don would say? I would run him all the way back, all the way back to my life, to the place where I knelt down. And he couldn't go any further than that. Isn't that good today? But if you allow him, he'll steal your joy, tell you you're lost, that you need to be saved when you've already been saved. I don't know your heart, but I'm telling you he's the enemy. I'm telling you he'll tell you everything in this world. That's a lie. That's a lie. And once you understand who He is and that He is the Father of lies, you can understand how to defeat Him. You see, it's not in my prayers. It's not in my faith. I mean, that helps, yes, sir. But the way you defeat Him 
is all by the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's tree. Now, my friends, today, I was talking to somebody the other day, and he said, Brother, do you think, and I'm not preaching easy believism, don't you go out of here and misunderstand me, but he said, do you think we've made it too complicated? Do you think maybe we've made it unattainable? Do you think maybe we've made it too hard? He said, go back and look at the Scriptures. There's not one time you find men and women, boys and girls, on the altar for year after year after year. It's not in there. It's not. Now, I do preach heartfelt salvation that you can't just step it aside. I'm going to be a man of God. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. And you can turn over a thousand leaves and end up in hellfire and damnation. There has to be a spirit uh, from above that, in, that draws you, uh, that leads you to Him. And when He does, uh, He'll give you a spirit of repentance that you turn from self and you turn to the one that died for you. But that enemy, he'll say that's not enough. And he'll always try to come back to what you've done, to what you can do. He'll bring up every sin you ever committed. He'll take, if you keep a diary, he'll take every page of that diary and begin to turn it over and over and over. And he'll explain to you how nobody that's ever been saved could live like that. I'm telling you, he is the enemy and he will steal your joy. That's a fact. He will absolutely take that from you. For he knows if you've been saved, he can never, ever, as I've said well ago, your soul isn't his to have. It doesn't belong to him. If you've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, he cannot in any way take anything of your soul. He can't do it. But he can steal that joy. And then it says he comes to kill. He will kill you. Kill everything that's good. He will destroy you. Uh, my friends, today, he is the enemy. You realize today uh, the, the minds and hearts he's got blinded from the realities that awaits those who die lost without God. I said last week, some people say it's a metaphysical fire. It's not a real fire. I want you to know today, I talked to somebody here last week, as a matter of fact, out the door, and uh, and we got her talking, and it was absolutely true. You'll have every sense about you. I was taught at a young age in grade school about our five senses. Uh, the Bible says hell fire, and that pit that it has no bottom, it will be eternal darkness. Why? Why is it so dark there, preacher? Because Jesus Christ is the light and He will not be there and so it's eternal darkness. Amen. You'll be able to sense it. The Bible speaks of a darkness that may be felt. I believe that'll be a darkness that you can absolutely feel. My mom and daddy meant well, but they used to lie to me. Granny lived about 200 yards away from us and we'd go back and forth through the night sometimes. Uh, me and my brother and they'd say, and not wanting to scare us, but they, so they'd say, there's nothing out there in the dark that's not out there in the light. Well, I got about halfway one night and I heard a noise I've never heard in the daylight. And so I want you to understand today, there are things in the darkness there are things, but it is a spiritual battle. And so it's spiritual things. He abides in the darkness our enemy does. And in that place there will be absolutely no light. Amen. But it will be a darkness 
that can be felt. I was taught then that you could see. Uh, when I was growing up, I spoke about the blind man a moment ago. Uh, we can see. Uh, you can see in through the darkness, maybe uh, maybe bits and pieces. Uh, but I was taught that you can touch. Uh, you can taste. You can feel. Uh, you can smell. Uh, you can you know the senses. Uh, so I believe that sulfur will come up in your nose. Uh, I believe that your flames uh, will lick down your throat. Uh, I believe that you can see. Uh, maybe not what's around you. But the Scripture speaks of a place where a man saw uh, over into the good land, over into the heavenly land, over into the heavens, and he said there's a great gulf fixed uh, that you cannot pass here, and those from here cannot pass to you. You will be able to see. You'll be able to smell. You'll be able to smell the burning flesh. You'll be able to smell that smoke that ascends up out of that pit that has no bottom. That smoke will begin to work in your nose. You will have a body with every sense that you have right here. Because there is a resurrection. Both of the just and of the unjust. Satan has so blinded uh, the Scriptures warn us over and over and over again that there's coming a day when the holy angels with the holy wrath of God will take vengeance with eternal everlasting fire on them who know not God. And that arch enemy is drawing multitudes after him today. You realize we're living in a day, matter of fact, that happened in Bowling Green, Kentucky yesterday. The pride day. The pride. I mean, we're shaking our very fists at the God that gave us everything we've got. We're teaching our kids you can be gender fluid. I want you to look up something for me. It's hard to find because the media keeps it silent. But you look up those who have had that surgery done and cannot go through puberty. You realize that you can't give your child a Tylenol at school, but they can give them hormones without mom and daddy knowing. I mean, we're in trouble. And Satan has got the whole world blind. All we care about is scrolling on Facebook and Twitter and social media. All of that you see on there, about at least 70% is an absolute fabrication. It's a lie. It's the life that we portray to the public. But see, there's another life. One that only us and God know about. One that when you turn your lights off at night, how is it with your soul? He will steal. He will kill. And finally, He will destroy. He is the, the Bible said, He is the destroying one. He's the destroyer. He'll destroy everything. He's got us so blind. But you'll be able to touch. You'll be able to feel. It's not a metaphysical fire. It's not, you know what kind of fire it is? It's a holy fire. It's a fire full of the wrath of an almighty God. It was never prepared for you to go there. Never prepared. Never intended for mankind to ever set foot in that place. But men do. Men do. It don't matter. I said a while ago that I wasn't saved in this kind of in this kind of church. That's all right. You might not believe that, but that's all right. Like that blind man, I know what happened to me at that altar. I know that I was lost and now I'm found. And so it doesn't matter. Baptists go to hell. Just as well as Catholics go to hell. And Episcopalians go to hell. It doesn't matter who you are. 
Americans, Egyptians, Israelites, uh, uh, Canaanites, uh, any kind of ice you want to throw out, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how rich you are. Some of the best and brightest that's ever lived has stepped off of their thrones and descended into that pit. And they're still falling today. They can see. They can smell. Uh, they can hear the wails and the screams. Uh, they can hear them cry. Uh, they can hear them beg. Uh, they can hear them screech. They can hear them wail. Uh, they can hear them chewing on their tongues for pain. And men are blind to all of it. Just oblivious to the fact that one day they're going to pass beyond this veil into that great unknown. And that is the enemy. He'll destroy everything. That marriage is falling apart. He'll destroy that. You give him one inch, one foothold. He'll come into your home. He'll come into this church and tear it all to pieces. And nothing would bring him greater satisfaction than to do just that. He is the enemy. So how do we fight that enemy? He tells us in that same verse. He said that's the enemy that's come. He'll steal, he'll kill, and he'll destroy then he said, I've come that men might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I'm glad today, I've told you before, I don't have a glamorous life. I don't have a life that men, I don't have a life that boys and girls would look to and say, I would like to be that man. I don't have that kind of life. I don't have a life of luxury. Matter of fact, I've had quite the opposite. I've had a life of heartache. Mostly, I've had a life of health issues, of spiritual health issues, mental health issues, physical health issues, financial issues. I've lived a hard life. And you know what? I wouldn't trade it for yours, not for one day. Why? It's been hard, yes. But I've got an abundant life. I've got a good life. I've got a life given to me from above. I've got a life, as was said back here a while ago, as Brother Ben I gave that testimony before we prayed. And he said, where God has brought me from to where I am now, you realized you didn't have any, any, any choice in the matter of where you were born, who you were born to, if you were born in America or Israel, Palestine, if you were born in Gaza, if you were born in Egypt, you had no control over that. But God blessed you to be born here. And God blessed you just like He blessed me. Though it wasn't a missionary Baptist, He blessed me with men around me who preached the gospel of hellfire and damnation. And the only way to escape that is through repentance and faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And though they weren't missionary Baptists, they were absolutely men of God. And now they've gone on to claim their reward and their preaching days are finished. And one day, mine will be too. Uh, one day I'll lay them down. Uh, one day I'll pick up the Word of God for the last time. One day I'll preach to you for the last time. One day I'll close my Bible for the last time. Uh, but you know what? When that day comes, thank God I'm ready. Because of the One who imparts life to man. Because one night at an altar, He gave me life. I was dead. There's nothing that a dead man can do about being dead. You see, it's not about what you can do to be saved. You can't do anything to be saved. You have to repent. You have to believe. You have to trust. You know what? There's three words in the Scripture when He said, it is finished. That's it. That's the plan of salvation. He bowed His head. He said, it is finished. And He gave up the ghost. 
That's what my faith's in. Not in the prayer that I pray. Not in what I've done. Not in anything that I've done. Not in any good works. Not in any sermon I've ever preached. Not in any prayer I've ever prayed. It's the blood of that spotless eternal one who lived and bled and died and rose from the dead for me. See, a dead man cannot bring himself back to life. But he can. He can. He can and he does. There are, there are dozens upon dozens of people in this very place right now that He has brought from death into life. You see, that's how He says it. We that have been saved, we've passed from death into life. So if you've never passed from death unto life, then my friend, you are lost and separated from a holy, eternal God. And one day, you're going to be called and you're going to stand before Him. You know what He'll say to you? I birthed you to a good family. I saw that you were raised and you were exposed to the preaching of the truth of the Word of God. I saw to it that you were warned to flee from the wrath to come. I saw to it that people were around you that loved your soul so much. I saw to it that men and women who are of a grown stature and 200 pounds have been on their knees and wept and cried for you. And you rejected it. What will you say? What can you say? There's nothing to say in that day. You see, once a man slips beyond this life, his fate is settled. There is nothing you can do then. But it's all you can do now is to repent and believe. If He's dealing with you, then come. He wants to give you life. What is an abundant life? You ever thought about that? Just because you're alive don't mean you have life. You understand? Just because you came into church this morning See, I believe that I believe that even Christians are living below our means sometimes. Yes, sir. I believe that even Christians just go through the motions because external factors play a part. Because there are days we're sad and despondent and depressed in spirit. There are times things get to us, and rightfully so, that we don't see what what the lost can't figure out. It's not always a cakewalk. It's not all. As a matter of fact, it very seldom is. And even in death, even a Christian, even a Christian, death is an enemy. It is. It's an enemy. He takes away that sting, but we still fear somewhat death. We still fear how we're going to die. We still fear laying on a bed of languishing. We fear being swept away in a moment and leaving our spouse or parents just with, a, with all of these questions. Death is an enemy. And quite frankly, the only way even a born-again believer secure in salvation, the only way we can even stomach it is because we know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And because He did, so shall we. See, being saved, what is life? And then what is an abundant life? He not only wants you to have life, there is so, so much more to being saved than just eternal life. There is so, so much more joy. You've been saved, you've got fire insurance. You're not going to hell. That's good. That's wonderful. 
There is, that's life. But there is also an abundant life. That's what He wants. That's what He wants for you. That's what He came and lived and died and rose from the dead that you could not just have life, but you could have an abundant life. Do you understand that today? I have an abundant life. I have an eternal life and it's abundant. I'm full. That's what it means. I'm full of life. There's no death here. There never will be again. From the night that He saved me, He gave me an abundant life. An abundant life is the enemy cannot steal it. The enemy cannot kill it. The enemy cannot destroy it. Because I know in whom I have believed. It's an abundant life. And to know that I can talk to the Son of God. It's an abundant life. To know that I come and worship with His children. It's an abundant life. Knowing that He's gave me a ring. What does that mean? It means, as I said, it's a down payment. That spirit is an earnest expectation. He put a ring on my hand at an altar one night. And one day, He's coming back. One day, He's coming back for His bride. He's coming back for His own. I'm glad that He is. It's an abundant life. It's one that can't be bought or sold. It's an abundant life. It's the one the devil cannot rob. It's an abundant life. It's the one the devil cannot steal. Amen. Amen. That's an abundant life. That's an abundant life. That's an abundant life when you can look at all your circumstances and say, I don't care. There's still a hope and a joy inside of me. Have you got that life? I want you to have it today. There's no reason for you to leave this place without it today. There's no reason for you to leave here lost. You can be saved. That's why He came. He said, I came. Forget what the Pharisees. We've got Pharisees in our own Baptist church. Yes, sir. Amen. We're arguing about over who baptized who. And meanwhile, our lost are going to hell by the handfuls. Shame on us. Shame on us. That's not the kind of life He wants. He wants you to have an abundant life. A life greater than what this life has. Do you have that? That's what He's concerned with. Who baptized you is important. Don't misunderstand me. What you're baptized into in that church, it is important. Don't misunderstand me. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. I'll go ahead and say this. We were talking in Sunday school. Jesus Christ was smitten one time. He died one time. He was buried one time. He rose one time. To baptize somebody that's already been baptized, what you're doing is saying that first death, burial, and resurrection is of no good. That's wrong. That is wrong to the nth degree. And I don't care what you think about that. It is wrong, wrong, wrong. You died one time to sin. You were buried one time into the water to represent that. And you rose one time never to die again. Never will I be put under water ever again because I've already rose from that grave. And I'm a new creature. You have life. When circumstances are bad, Sickness comes in. Can you withstand it? When famine comes in, when war, we're going to be at war long. Do you realize that? We're going to be at war. This is going to be a world war. He wants you to have an abundant life. There's no reason to leave here lost. 
No reason to leave here staring. You know what abundant life is? It's peace with God. I don't care what's happening. I can lay down at night knowing that I love God and He loves me. That is an abundant life. And He said that's why He came. That's why He came. That's why He came. For you to be saved. And even beyond that, to fellowship with His bride, His people, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. I want you to have not life, an abundant life, a full life, one that's bursting at the seams. One that has a reason of hope within you. That come, let hell come on this earth. Let hell come and it will come. The inhabitants of hell are going to one day be belched out. Revelation chapter number 9. Men will seek death and death will flee from them. We never seen that before. We'll never see it again. But even in that, I have an abundant life. Do you? Do you have that this morning? If not, I would urge you to come as we sing.